I've actually had someone prophesy over me one time, God has called you to suffering. Thanks, but no thanks. Welcome to the Soma Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Paul. Now that we've deconstructed our evangelical beliefs, we're trying to find a way forward to hold on to Christian faith and community in a post-Christian culture. Well, today we picked a topic that um, people have been struggling with and wrestling with for centuries, and there's not really a satisfying answer. We know how to pick the mark. Yeah, the problem of evil or the problem of suffering is probably one of the central uh, issues that people struggled with philosophically and in the history of, of Christianity and the church. Yeah. There is not a clear, this is the correct answer. And, no. um, and, it's a, and it is a big issue for many people feeling or understanding that, uh, is, is God really good? You know, if, if the world is the way it is with so much pain and suffering, how can you paint this picture of God as being good? I wanted to tell you this story. Uh, years ago, um, it, this is a story about another topic that's really hard to uh, get a great answer on. Uh, I was, it was when I was uh, in the ministry and I was speaking and traveling and I was coming back from a conference on a plane and I was sitting on the plane with another pastor who had also spoken at this conference. And the two of us, I don't know what, why we did this, but we decided that we would debate um, uh, predestination versus free will. Were you guys drinking? Or? I don't know what the, what was going on there, but we we spent like I think ninety minutes. He took a side, I took a side. The the classic Calvin versus Arminian debate for those of you who know about that, and uh, we just went at it. And after about ninety minutes of this, we we literally were exhausted. We stopped. We took a deep breath, and it was this synchronicity. We both happened to just look over at the person who's been quietly sitting in the seat beside us on, in the airplane aisle, just reading her book, minding her own business. And at, at the very moment we look at, at her, she turns the page on the book and the title of the chapter says, Stop Trying to Be God. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, we just, we just kind of looked at each other and started laughing. And she's like, wow, did God predestine that fantastical, you know, coincidence that the very second that we were trying to figure this out, we look over and there's this message, stop trying to be God. That's essentially the answer in the book of Job, right? Yeah. So Job is this guy who, the story, you know, he, he loses everything. He loses his family, his cattle, his home, his body's covered in boils. All his friends come to him and basically say, you must have done something really wrong. You deserve this and so forth. Yeah. And, and in the end, he, you know, at first he doesn't get mad at God. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't kind of back, back talk to God. Yeah. Um, he gets a little frustrated in the end. And, and essentially, basically God says, all right, did you set up the universe? Did you lay the foundations of the earth? Yeah. Uh, in other words, no answer we're going to give is going to be satisfying. It's a mystery. No, it's not a satisfying answer. And I, there could be people who are listening to us today, Mark, who are, who are suffering. Maybe they're going through something really difficult. And so I, I just want to say uh, to you that, you know, it's, it, 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 it's really not very comforting necessarily to like think, philosophize about why the evil might exist. We, we might get a little philosophical in this podcast. I think we're very conscious about getting to some of the heart issues. Um, we may not do that fully here in this episode. I know there's going to be other episodes that we may t tackle this, but I remember uh, one of the most difficult times I, I'd ever gone through um, was our, when we had our first child, my wife and I um, were expecting our first child. And then um, we found out a week before she was born that she was really sick. 
And um, when she was born a week later, she died that same day. And um, I remember uh, feeling, you know, obviously hopelessly despairing. Uh, my wife and I really super struggled. Um, I actually would like to have Tamara back on the podcast for us to talk about this one time. I think when right. maybe we talk about the dark night of the soul or, or some topic like that. Um, but will I, what I will say now is that there were people that were trying to help me figure out why this was happening to us. And there were different theories. And, and I think people meant well, um, I think, it, but, the, but the simple cliches just didn't sit, settle right with us. It was, it was not helpful. Uh, I, I remember one family member said to me, you know, that if I, that there must have been something wrong in my life. Like if I would have had faith, my daughter wouldn't have died, right? Right. It's, it becomes about your lack of faith or your, there's some secret sin in your life. Yeah. So God's basically, you know, either letting you have it or, or because you didn't, you weren't upright enough or righteous enough that you, you're kind of getting what you deserve. Oh, that, and that was devastating. Just the thought of that was devastating to me. I just instantly rejected that. Someone else said to me that it was the devil. You know, the devil had come in and, and taken her and, and there's a war and there's a battle. And it just made me feel frightened. You know, wow, can the devil just come and just steal your kids anytime he wants? And, and so it's, it's a real struggle. At the end of the day, you, you still have to go back and say, well, what about God? Like, how, where is God in all this? Why did God allow this? And I know there might be people listening uh, who are in a place like that. And there's a time just to grieve. And there's a time just to, you know, maybe not worry about trying to figure things out. Uh, but, but we will be talking about this today. I think it's important to not just stay in the philosophical because obviously we've already said the philosophical answer is not very effective. Yeah. Um, when we last, in our last uh, discussion, we, I mentioned I had, I had made a video. Um, I did, I've done some kind of creative uh, experimental videos and I made a video called Grace Tourist. Mm. And um, I made the video using found footage from the uh, Indian Ocean tsunami that happened. There's footage you can see on, on YouTube. The ocean kind of came out and came in and, and just essentially... People were caught unaware and just mowed over all of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, homes, and, and just kept coming and coming and coming. I remember that. And I was at that time in my life, I God had gone silent in my life, and I was feeling very lost in my life, and I was um, trying to figure out what direction to go. And I, I was struggling with why has God led me into the middle of nowhere is how I felt, and, and mm. it's gone silent. Mm -hmm. And so I took that footage and I edited this little um, video, an animated character as a, you know, celebrities and different people popping in and out in the video. Um, but it really, there was a quote at the beginning that I put, and it said, there but by the grace of God go I, which is a a quote from a reformer who was burned at the stake. Hmm. And um, and one of the clips in the video was of this American couple who basically said, you know, when the tsunami happened, we could go home. Many people, we've seen many people who've gone home, they're looking to get on the nearest plane fast as possible out of here. But we decided because we've been given much, that much is demanded, and they're quoting the Bible. Mm. And I thought that was very interesting. So in a sense, they're tourists, but I said instead, you know, and tourism sometimes is a, has a negative connotation. It means people who go somewhere and just take advantage of their resources. Yeah. Wealthy people can go to poorer countries, live a great life, and then go home. But they did the opposite. They essentially became grace tourists in that they hmm. stayed to help clean up. Wow. You know, and I thought 
that's an interesting picture of God in action in the middle of suffering. Wow. Like God is a grace tourist? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I, th- I think Christians, in a sense, God calls people yeah. to uh, essentially, um, you know, when you when you have something and you, and you have that opportunity, um, the solution, in a sense, is for us to be present in the middle of what's happening, right? And they, yeah. they just made a small stand. They decided on their vacation to stay and essentially help the people who were who were suffering and, you know, had survived. Some had had terrible loss in their life and their families. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just a little meditation, really. But and it was me trying to process my own struggle with why, if God is so good, and can He be trusted when all of this mess is happening in the world? And I and I, yeah. the thought that occurred to me was, if God allows, you know, something like, um, you know, Nazi Germany and and the death camps, He'll allow anything. Yeah, you know, and so, you know, in theology we talk about the permissive will of God. So in other words, God doesn't cause the death camps to happen, but He permits it. And I, you know, and that seems a kind of a theologically weasel way of kind of protecting God. And it's like, um, if God will allow that, He'll allow anything. And that made me feel um, very vulnerable and very Absolutely. uncertain of what I could expect from God. Yeah, I have to admit, this is probably, this has been the main stumbling block for me. I know a few times in this podcast, I've talked about my struggle with faith. And I would say that this issue has been the one that has kept me at distance with God. Um, I know for you, for you, you've said that you've questioned whether God is good. I, I think for me, I question, does God exist? I mean, it, it's, it comes from the same place of just trying to grapple with the existence of evil or suffering in the world. I did think about, well, maybe, you know, maybe God's just an impersonal force, you know, um, that might explain it. That might help me <laughs> believe in God. Uh, you know, he's not, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like the Albert, Albert Einstein stand where he said he believed in God, but he did, he couldn't believe that God was personal because of the problem of evil. So he, he saw God as more like a force that make, created the universe and keeps the universe going Right, either either the the equation is either God is uh, not powerful enough to stop evil, right, or He might not be good enough to want to stop evil, um, or the, I guess there might not be a God at all. There's a lot of different formulations of the equation, mm-hmm. but you often come away with feeling like either God is not capable or willing to, in effect, make a change in the middle of you know all the suffering that people face. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a classic. Like, yeah, let's. You broke it down. I just want to reiterate that we like to say that God is perfectly powerful, right? And we we use words like um, omnipresent. He's everywhere. Omniscient. He knows everything. And omnipotent. He can do anything. And we like to say that God's perfectly good. So if He's perfectly powerful, then He could create a world where evil doesn't exist. Theoretically, I mean, it makes sense. And if He's perfectly good, wouldn't He want to prevent? evil or suffering. I mean, I think of myself as a parent, right? If I knew that my daughter or my son was going to be murdered or or abused or raped or something terrible was going to happen to them, and I had the power to stop it, I would want to stop it. So this is like, this is raw. I can feel the emotion as I talk about this. Like this, this kind of thing uh, has has been something I've really struggled with um, because evil does exist. 
So what do you do with I that? I mean, the, cl- the, cl- the classic answer is, is, in a sense, that there's no way for God to create human beings as free without, um, without this problem of suffering or evil being a part of the equation. Otherwise, we just wouldn't be free, you know? And I, I think the parent equation is one way that we can sort of bring it down to earth. You know, I remember mm-hmm. when I was doing the Red Herring, having a conversation with this one individual who... You know, said basically, you know, if I had a kid, I wouldn't let my kid put his hand on the stove because I know what's going to happen. Yeah. But in a sense, God does that. And, um, you know, there, there is some truth to that, you know, but I, as a parent, as I've seen my kids grow and get older, I realize that the stakes get higher and higher. And I, as a parent, can't control them. And I, you know, I want my kids to have a good life. I want them to be free. I want them to be able to engage and live the life that they want to live, you know. Mm -hmm. And the only way for them to do that is for me not to be in control of their life. And so I can see the risks that they sometimes take and I, I can warn them about the risks and I can try to help them when, when they give me invitation. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, for them to, to live the life that they've been given, there, there has to be risk. And I, and I know as a parent that those risks and choices will, will often lead to suffering. I've done it in my own life and I'm sure my parents tried to warn me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that, is part of the equation that God has taken. It's not a f- an abstract formula. I think that God wants human beings to have innate uh, freedom and innate right to live a life. And so he's allowed, at some level, he's allowed that freedom knowing that that suffering is part of that equation. So he must have a, a reason for it. He must be willing to accept it because the value of his children uh, being alive and having that freedom is greater. Yeah, I think any any um, philosophical answer we give to this question, it, it, it'll make some sense. I think that makes some sense. I think it'll always fall apart too. That's why we're, we're handling a very difficult subject today. Um, I used to think that way as well, and, and I think that was probably the primary way I would explain evil is the idea of free will and freedom and that love requires you to have a choice, right? God didn't want to make, he didn't make us robots and program us right. to love him. yeah. Um, if you do give people a choice, it allows for the possibility of moral evil. And, but my issues with this is I would hold on to that, but also hold on to the idea that in heaven, everything was perfect and there was no sin and there was no suffering. So how the heck do we maintain free will and a place in heaven where there's no suffering or the future reality? So that, that also, it, that didn't connect there. And apparently uh, God doesn't have free will, right? Like God he, he won't do certain things that, that can violate his nature. Apparently, you know, God doesn't sin. Like there's, there's all kinds of theological things we would, I, I would say and do, and it would just wouldn't be consistent. Or what about when someone uses their freedom to oppress others and take the freedom away from others, right? Yeah, it's, all, it's always a, a di- the equation is not very satisfying, I it's agree, not. but I, I think it still needs to be there because be it still needs to be thought through. Yeah. Um, I, I would just... A caution, not caution, but just that, that comment you made, you kind of implied heaven was some place you go after you die. Exactly. And I, I'm saying maybe that's part of the, the equation here it needs to be changed a little bit. Yeah. That um, we essentially believe heaven is not simply some place you go after you die. It's something 
God is trying to create on the earth here. Right. So if that is the horizontal view of heaven, is it's going to be on earth. It's not going to be somewhere in the never, never beyond after you die. Yeah. Um, that the problem is actually a lack of heaven here now. And, and yeah, so good point. Um, how, do we, how do we factor that into the equation? That's a great point. And again, that's, that's pointing out how maybe we have to change the way we see things a little bit to understand these topics in, in, in a deeper way. Um, I, I think for, long, for a long time I wouldn't, like I didn't even want to pray. Or I thought like, I, I felt like it was selfish to pray, right? Or... I, it's almost like I wanted God not to be involved because then it would, I'd have to face this problem of evil again. So if I prayed and, and evil was averted or suffering was averted or something changed, God answered my prayer. Um, but somebody else prayed and that didn't, it didn't change the millions of people that might have prayed to avoid something. And the answer didn't come. It, I had a hard time with that. I had a hard time with, well, why would, God be answering my prayer or someone else's prayer while someone else is watching their child die of starvation or something like that. So it, it really caused me to pull back and hold on to this thing. And this thing became a huge stumbling block. This is what kept me for many, many months, maybe even years for to fully saying I'm a believer or fully saying I'm a Christian. Um, and, and so there might be others who can relate to that. I think that's why is God good is a, a, a much more difficult question than is God actually real. Wow. Because um, is God good is a relational question. Can he be trusted? Not just is he good, but is he going to be good to me? Yeah, I right. think that's more my question. I, I you know, theological questions are safe. I, and I've taken theology courses, you know, what is God's permissive will, you know, uh, all those kind of questions. They're, I like them and I've, you know, I enjoy them, but they, they're not satisfying. You know, yeah. really the question is, is God good to me? When my child dies, is God good to me? When I'm mm-hmm. going through a depression, is God still good to me, right? And I, yeah. I have to dig myself out. You know, so that was Jonah. You know, Jonah's lost everything. He's covered in boils. He's absolutely miserable, but he refuses to, you know, to basically shout back at God, you know. That takes a lot, you know. Um, yeah. That takes a faith that, you know, not many people have. Absolutely. Um, I actually, I've actually had someone prophesy over me one time. The only really? time that someone ever prophesied over me was they, I was at a house church conference in Guelph, and they said that God has called you to suffering. What? And that was, that, that was their prophecy over uh, me. Thanks, but no thanks. You know, and I, I, I had that in the back of my mind for many years. Really? And I actually think it was probably right. Really? You know, I, I, when I was really depressed, and, and I was going through this kind of like, just get up every day and go to work, and, and not really... You know, no, no joy, no happiness, no light, no God, mm-hmm. nothing's working. Yeah, it sucks. Um, I think that was part of it, you know, and and, um, and in a weird kind of way, I I remembered that prophecy word or whatever you want to call it, and I it kind of gave me a little bit of hope because I thought maybe there's a purpose in the suffering, mm-hmm. there's a purpose in what I'm going through, mm-hmm. and that was kind of how I took it. Um, and I actually think that that's true now looking back. Wow. You know, I think you're right. Saying there is no God is the easy answer, actually. Um, it's the easy answer, I think, philosophically, although it does have terrible consequences, like we talked about in our last episode. Um, 
the, it causes a lack of meaning and, and there's other, there's other psychological and sociological uh, issues with that, but it's the easier answer. The harder answer is if you, if you still want to believe in God, or if you, if you want to hold on to your faith, um, you, you probably really don't question, is he powerful? Because that's that the kind of definition of God. Um, you kind of question, is he good? You're right. That's, that's the question. And if you can hold, if you can believe that he's good and powerful, then why, what, then you have to make sense of suffering in some way. Like you have to come to peace with it. God must have some reasons for keeping suffering in play or evil in play. And I, I would say we're probably not going to answer the the big, no. you know, universal reason for suffering. But no. I think what we can say, what I could say, uh, uh, is that suffering plays a part in in my life. In that, you know, that part of our, our struggle is maybe is to grow in maturity, and that suffering has played a role in my life to uh, grow me in maturity. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I I had some unpaid bills from my youth, and I think many of us do things that we you know, in development, you know, in developmental theory, things happen in stages generally. Mm-hmm. And when you fail to do certain things or, or that you, um, you know, fail to move forward in, in the choices that God has given you, you're, you're ultimately going to suffer. And I think many of us, you know, unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, mm-hmm. there's any number of, of mm-hmm. conditions that, you know, um, they're unpaid bills, and and they come at some point in your life. Often in middle age, I think they, they're they're time to be paid. Hmm. And wow. suffering can often be a clue that there's something that we have to dig deep and we have to we have to resolve. Yeah, this gets back to our second episode, right? The hell on earth sort of idea. Um, the the idea of uh, maturity that you're talking about and the suffering that maybe we can create for ourselves it's not that we're it's not I heard someone say it's not that we're being judged for our sins we're being judged by our sins right like the consequences of some of some some of our actions or actions of others upon us um, and um, I it, would I would say God is good yeah but reality is real right you 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 can't have one without the other you know god is truly good mm-hmm. but he's allowed reality to be fully real and you you can't live without take, taking into consideration how the world works and how god has set the world up to work if, if you don't follow and understand how it works you'll you'll ultimately suffer and i'm talking mostly about relationship things relationships mm-hmm. um, having unforgiveness in your life is a huge, um, you know, in in the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us as we forgive others. You know, there's a connection. You, if you are un- unable to forgive, it's very difficult to receive forgiveness. There's a connection. And, and so I spent most of my life for, learning to forgive, you know, my, mm-hmm. my father in a sense. Mm-hmm. And but doing that released me from bitterness and judgment mm-hmm. and allowed me to mature and grow. Yeah, you're talking about soul making or soul building. I did a bit of um, research on the topic of suffering and the problem of evil. And there's a, a theological word word called um, theodicy. Theodicy, which is right. from Greek. Hey, my Greek course is is paying off. <laughs> Theo meaning God, and and uh, and then the other part of the word uh, meaning just or justify. So it's basically to justify God or to like defend God and why He allows evil to be in the world. Right, a defense. Yeah, yeah a defense. One of them 
uh, one of the ideas of soul making or soul building. It's that maturity, like the lessons that we learn through suffering. And it's the suffering that takes us from being self-centered to being other-centered, right? Um, it shapes our character. Uh, you, you mentioned people like Joseph in the Bible before. I think it's suffering is a, a part of almost every char- major character in the Old Testament and yeah. the New Testament. Mm-hmm. I mean, Christ suffered for our sins, right? He, mm-hmm. he had to suffer mm-hmm. to release the salvation that is available to people. You mm-hmm. know, suffering is a big part of uh, paying the price for other people, for, for us, you know, and I think as a parent, you, you suffer as a parent in oh small God. ways and large ways. And you pay, the, you pay the price, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, because I think that whoever has the greater maturity pays the price for those who have less maturity. Wow. And I think that's what my life as a teacher, my life as a parent, I'm always paying the price for those with less maturity and other people with greater maturity have paid the price for me. Wow. Yeah. That suffering is a part of the, the journey. And we talk about the hero's journey, uh, that act two where there's all this conflict and uh, it, it matures us. It makes us stronger. When I think of the Joseph story, um, he eventually got to a point in his life where he could look at his brothers who sold him into slavery and say, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so the transformation in his thinking and in his maturity yeah. um, is, is profound, right? It doesn't explain every kind of no. natural evil or no. all those things. I think what we're talking about, focusing in on, is how it can be a benefit in a sense um, to um, you know someone who is experiencing it in their life and asking how, how can God be real if this is happening to me? And it's possible that somehow God is is in the middle of that or can be in the middle of that. Yeah. You know, um, I had um, this guy that I know actually lived with me when I was younger. Um, was a part of our ministry and 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 you know quite connected with him at one point. Um, he had a troubled background and he um, he came to visit me one time. This was long after the ministry was was kind of closed up, and he said, "I've decided to go live on the street." And I at the time I was like, "Why would you do that?" His marriage had fallen apart, and and he went to live on the street. Became a drug addict. I remember seeing him on the street walking around with like a, a blanket around him. He oh, he went and did meth. He you know he he was a smart guy. He went to Bible school. And he went and lived on the street. And the last time I talked to him, he could barely string a sentence together. Oh, my you know? God. And, and I, I had him in my car at one point. And uh, I actually sensed God was giving me a scripture for him. And it's scripture is um, it's from, well, there's a f- few places in, in the Gospels. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm-hmm. And that's a scripture where Christ is, you know, sort of being announced and, and the father, you know, basically is putting his validation on him. Mm-hmm. And I felt God was saying the same thing about this guy sitting in my car who was a <laughs> drug addict. Wow. And it occurred to me, you know, God's still pleased with him, but his current state, maturity, the choices that he has made have led him down a path where he's currently, his life's a mess. Wow. And I and I think that's you know God basically um, allows us to make choices at such a level that we can get uh, very very off off the beaten path. Yeah, and we can still come back from that. But he, he you know he allowed it to happen or he permitted it, and and this individual you know really needed to 
to t- shout out to God and turn around. I don't know if they ever did or not. I lost touch with them. Wow. Another word I learned, so theodicy, uh, a justification or reasons for suffering. Another word I learned was ins- inscrutability. And this idea is that God has reasons for suffering, but we he's not going to tell us. You know, he it it's it's not revealed to us. It's the Job answer, yeah. Yeah, it's the Job answer. And honestly, uh, Mark, that's kind of where we need to get to eventually in this podcast. And, and actually when we're going through suffering, it's hard to admit it's a bitter pill to swallow, but there's this place we need to come to where we... We go, ah, I guess I don't have to have the answer here. It's really hard letting go. I want to talk about that a bit later. But a couple of theodicies that I'm not that crazy about. One is um, uh, God's punishing you. We kind of mentioned that a bit when that lovely family member told me this was my fault and my daughter died. God's punishing you. Uh, I don't like that one too much, even though you do find a lot of verses in the Bible that kind of suggest that. There are also other verses that don't. One of the books I love these days, especially in our crisis of meaning culture, I've told my sons to read this, is Ecclesiastes. You can actually, uh, on YouTube, have uh, audio Bibles, right? And you can ha- I-, I recommend that you uh, listen to Ecclesiastes in the New King James Version. It's, it's, it's funny. It actually makes me feel better, even though it says life is completely meaningless and everything is vanity. Somehow it makes me feel better. Um, but here's a little verse I found from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Okay, so the writer of Ecclesiastes says, <clears throat> I've seen everything in my days of vanity. There's a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, nor be overly foolish. Why should you die before your time? I remember one time I read this verse and it just freed me. It just released me because I felt like I was trying so hard to be, to please God and to be overly righteous. And there was this feeling that like there was a one-to-one relationship. The more I put into it, the more blessed I would be or the more good things happened to me. And like the writer here in Ecclesiastes, he's saying, you know what? Like, don't kill yourself over trying to, you know, do all these things to please God. So somehow you could avoid problems or or suffering. He says, I've seen really great people suffer and I've seen really terrible people prosper. And there's this sense that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people and vice versa. Um, And the idea here is not to try to, you know, weigh, weigh one so heavy and the other one so heavy. So also don't be stupid. Don't be foolish. Don't be so, um, you know. um, I think you have to... There has to be an acceptance in a lot of these things, right? Yeah. There is there is a, a time for everything. Yeah. And so I'm watching both of my parents have been in the hospital. My dad's been in the hospital for over a year. He's gone through a, a terrible time. And and um, it, it's a form of suffering for him. He almost lost his, uh, at one time he almost lost his leg. He's, he's you know, he's experienced um really a lot of confusion and a lot of unhappiness and there's not a lot I can do about it or, or, you know, it's like he's, he's going through this and um, it's, it's the end of his life and he kind of realizes that. And I just think um, one day I'll be there in some form and you'll be there in some form. And, mm-hmm. and there, you know, I've, I've reached a point where I see my, my kids or adult children making the choices that are going to determine the path in their life mm-hmm. and, and they're their choices to make. And I was there, and now I'm here, and, and it's 
everything is a process, right? And and it's funny as we get older, we grow in maturity and wisdom, and but our the big choices that we that really dictate our lives we make in our twenties, you mm-hmm. know, for the most part. And yet, when we have the least amount of wisdom <laughs> and uh, the least understanding of how they're going to play out, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I but I think that's where faith comes in because. You can't solve the equation of how, what is the meaning of suffering. We're not going to solve it. No. But you can choose to have faith. You can choose to um, engage with as much wisdom as possible. You can choose to uh, draw wisdom from people who are older than you. You know, um, I wish I would have had that option when I was in my twenties, when I was angry and bitter, and I thought every adult was an idiot. You know, um, I I wish I would have had the option later on. God brought adults into my life who mm-hmm. helped me and parented me in various ways. Um, and I see the advantage of that, you know. And, yeah. and so if you're younger and you're on that journey, you're just starting out, you know, be humble, have humility. Um, you don't need to know everything. Um, having faith and, ha- and and seeking God will put you further down the road than just trying to do everything yourself. That... Uh Punishment, the Odyssey, you know, God's punishing wicked people or his enemies. Um, I like, I do see some of that in the Bible and I, I like to go to Jesus anytime I do to sort of, sort of bounce things off of Jesus. And I thought of Matthew five, which is really, really encouraged me. It's the part where he said, you, you heard it said that you should love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And he goes and said, but I say, do you love your enemies? And the, the justification he gives for this is if you love your enemies, you're actually acting like God because God loves his enemies. And he, and he goes on to say stuff like um, God makes the sun rise on the evil and the just, and he makes the rain fall on the evil and the just. He gives good things to both. And um, so he encourages us, Jesus encourages us to love our enemies like God loves his enemies. You know, And there was another part I thought of too where Jesus went to a Samaritan village and they rejected him, the Samaritans in this village. And the disciples said to him, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? You know, and consume them. There was sort of this, this vengeance and anger and this like, they rejected you. We should smite them, you know? Um, And Jesus said to his disciples, you don't know what spirit you're of. He said, that's not what I'm about. He said, the son of man came to save lives, not destroy them. So this idea of like, this uh, that that God is destroying or de- um, bringing punishment on people because of their sins. I think I think there's some truth to it in, in the sense that you're talking about, where it's if there's if it's a part of that building the soul or making the soul like that change of heart. I, I would say it's um, maybe God's doing that, but I, I think it's there's a moral system. The world functions in a certain way. Yeah. And the world, you know, God is good, but the world is real. So, if, you know, um, Paul says that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And he had a fight with some uh, of, you know, some people in his day were basically saying, well, if God, you know, just forgives us, then why can't I just go and do whatever I want, basically? Right? Yeah, right. And, and we see people, I can sin and then God will forgive me. Mm-hmm. Um, and while there may be truth to that, God is forgiving our sin, not counting them against us. He's not stopping the consequences of our sins. So, right. you know, I can go and take drugs mm-hmm. and say I'm free to do that, 
But what will happen is you'll diminish your freedom. You'll damage your body. And, and those consequences will happen. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of what's happened, a lot of suffering, is consequences for real behaviors. Mm-hmm. And, and in a sense, that's good because um, it's a part of how God has set up the world. Consequences tell us, no, don't touch the stove. It's hot. Mm-hmm. You know, and if we if we didn't feel the pain, we would keep touching the stove and damage our, you know, damage more and more of our hands. So in a sense, suffering can sometimes be a, a result of not heeding consequences. Um, and that, that just means the world is real, mm-hmm. you know, and it has an impact. And so yeah. we have to live within the boundaries in a sense of how the world is set up. Yeah, you're right. It's sometimes. So it can explain some suffering. It doesn't explain everything. And there is some pretty terrible ex- sort of extreme suffering that that may not speak to. I think another um, theodicy is something you brought up once in our podcast, Mark. And it was that illustration that you talked about when you paint the contrast between light and darkness. I think that's a pretty powerful one. I can, I can, almost, I can buy into that one actually quite well. The, the light-dark contrast in our world I think is um, could be a reason that God allows suffering and God allows darkness. Um, I th- uh, there's a there's a little story I want to talk talk about from from Jesus's life in John chapter nine, um, and there's a guy born blind and he's begging in the same place all the time. And while they while Jesus and his disciples walk by, his disciples say is this guy blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? Right. And they, so they had, a, it was like a default setting is he, somebody must have sinned for this guy. Somebody did something wrong. They got what they deserve. Exactly. Um, and Jesus said, neither. That's not why this is, that's not why he's blind. And he goes on to say that the works of God should be revealed in him. And so his suffering becomes a contrast to the works of God or, or suffering can be a contrast to the works of God. And what, what happens in this guy's story is Jesus goes and he heals him through this crazy method of spitting in some clay and putting it in his eyes and telling him to go wash his eyes. And all of a sudden he can see. And, um, and I think that the, this sometimes what happens is that suffering provides a contrast, like you, what you're talking about in your painting, between dark and light. There's no forgiveness without sin. There's no sympathy without suffering. There's no compassion without need. There's no uh, patience without adversity or no courage without danger. So some of these incredibly inspirational powerful things in the human experience wouldn't be so powerful if it couldn't contrast with something sort of opposite to it. And I think of that, that probably is the most powerful thing about the crucifixion where Jesus is horribly uh, killed. He's nailed to a cross. He's beaten. He's reviled. He's, he's stripped naked. And in the, in the, in the contrast of like the, in the, in the depth of that darkness, there's this contrast of him saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, someone cu- cuts me off in traffic, and I say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. There's just, yeah, whatever. But in the face of that kind of darkness, to see that kind of light, like, these are moments that that we, that we makes us feel human. Like, the, like, we tell stories about things like this. So I do think there's some power behind that idea of the, of the light-dark contrast. Well, I, I mean, I think, yeah, it's built into the idea that uh, the universe or, or 
you know, human experience is a place that God is showing his glory. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, st- I think a strict Calvinist would say that God has arranged the world in such a way that, you know, some people are, are, are going to suffer. Or some people are going to not hear about Christ or they're going to live in places in the world where there's more pain and suffering. I, I don't really like that argument. No. <laughs> but I, I can read that into what you're saying. So that's why I'm kind of push, pushing oh, back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably there's just a lot of, you know, shit happens in the world. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, some people believe that there's the open theism that essentially even God doesn't know everything. God mm-hmm. knows all possible things that could happen, mm-hmm. but he doesn't necessarily know which ones are going to happen until individuals choose it. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying it. There, these are yeah. all sort it's of philosophical quagmires, you know, yeah. like which timeline are we on to uh, quote community? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it doesn't, we can go around on that all day and I think we'll never get anywhere that we're satisfied with. Yep. But I think individual choice in the face of suffering always brings the glory of God in some mm-hmm. sense, right? When we see individuals who are doing um, the right thing despite themselves suffering mm-hmm. um, that reminds us of, of the capacity that people have for good and the capacity that they have to I think to reveal God yeah. and that's that's what makes us that that's an antidote to the question that we can kind of resonate with you know every movie you know when yeah. Frodo is <laughs> throwing the ring you know into the fire and he's gone through all of these tumultuous um, struggles and essentially he's sacrificing himself in that moment. He suffered so much. He mm-hmm. throws the ring in the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uplifting because we, mm-hmm. there's greatness in his weakness. There's a, there's a greatness. There's, there's, you know, a divine encounter that happens. So it brings us to, I think this spot where we could come up with all these ideas, uh, you know, light, darkness, uh, God's punishing us, or we're maturing, or there's free will. There's all these ideas. But I think the the peace, the place we need to get to is one that's, like I said earlier, it's a, it's kind of a difficult pill to swallow. Um, and I, and I want to just tell it from my own story. When, um, when we lost our daughter, our first child, um, there was a point where I, I looked at Tamara, my wife, and I said, so what are we going to do? Are we gonna? Are we gonna still be Christians? Like, how do we deal with this? And she said something so powerful to me. She said, "How can we turn away from the only one who can heal us right now?" So I felt like I, we were wounded by God, and yet there was this sort of bitter pill of having to go back to the hand that we thought hurt us, and 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 trust and trust Him, and. I see this again in the crucifixion. Jesus started the night with, Lord, if this cup could pass, like if, if this suffering could be avoided, please, please. And then he moved to, my God, my God, why? Why is this happening? Why have you forsaken me? And then he finally gets to, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he he lets go. He has faith in the, the middle of his suffering. Yeah. Um and he's able to, because of that, um, he's able to to create this opportunity for salvation that we have today. Um, I I think, in a sense, what you're saying, you know, and you uh, Tamara was able to um, 
respond in faith in that moment, which which enabled you to respond in faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the greatest challenge that we all have because we're facing small suffering, big suffering. Some people are facing incredible challenges in their life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and in the middle of that, oft, so often God seems silent. And so it's, it's a double whammy, right? It's like mm-hmm. people telling you just to pray. And, and uh, so often it's not, it's not so simple. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you can still manage to um, find and connect that faith, I think that you are at this, in the middle of an incredible transformation. You know, that um, um, it says in uh, Romans, our present suffering are, are nothing compared to the future glory. And so often we think that future glory means when we get to heaven, but yeah. it could also be foreshadowing now, you know, in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the suffering that we go through and the, the, the pain and the challenges that come into our life can reveal that glory now and be in a small way. I think one thing that really helps with the Christian story is this idea of God becoming flesh and living amongst us. The idea that we have a God who um, understands how to su- like what suffering feels like, right? There's a, even a verse in Hebrews 4 that says that Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in all points like we were. And so to, to know that there is a... Um, there is an understanding and a sympathy through personal experience. That's the belief that we have as Christians, that through personal experience, God can actually sympathize with us. Uh, and I think that's why we do have to seek God and have that personal experience. Um, because just theory, even just Bible verses, yeah. are not going to be enough when no. those difficult times come, right? Um Christ says to build your, you know, to build our house on the foundation, which is Christ. Um, you, you start building it and de- developing your faith before the real difficult times come, so that you have some resources you know, mm-hmm. to to hold on to. God is in the middle of what's happening to you, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. big or small. And um, if we can just encourage people who are listening to. Um, to continue to reach out to God and, you know, ask God for, to be present in some way. One of my um, daily, almost daily prayers is just, it's just God, be, just be present, you know, show yourself to me in some way today. And, and so, you know, sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's much less obvious, mm-hmm. but taking a daily practice of God, show yourself to me, you know, and, and sometimes I'll, if I feel particularly discouraged in a day, I'll ask God, please encourage me in some way today, you know, and I just make it very tangible, Yeah. you know, and I, I'm surprised at how often that works. You know, I'll come home at the end of the day and I'll say, ah, okay, yeah, God, something happened at work or in my day that encouraged me and I'll give thanks to God for that. Yeah, wait, I, I want to say one last thing uh, that really echoes what you're saying, Mark. It's when I think back on, on that experience of losing our child, it was a moment, it was a time in our life where we felt a lot of intimacy with God, believe it or not, like even though we had so much pain and we questioned things, uh, it felt like God was close to us. What it felt like was that we had someone walking with us. And it reminded me of when Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would be like a comforter and a counselor. I think, again, the Greek word is paraclete, which means one who comes alongside and walks with you, walks the journey with you. 
And so you may not have answers and you may not understand what's going on, but I tell you, it really feels, it really feels powerful and strengthening to have that presence walking with you. I know sometimes it can seem like it's also dark or quiet. I'm not saying it's, it's angels and it's trumpets and it's, it's, it's exuberant. I'm just saying there, there can be a peace and there can be a real sense of security in those times of suffering. And that's what meant a lot to us. We ended up naming our daughter Hope. And, um, you know, we talk about horizontal theology, but I can see why that there's something about hanging on to some type of a hope of an afterlife to see the people we love that we've lost. And, um, and so hang on to hope. Yeah, I don't think we can add to that. Um, just thank you for listening. If you have suffered or have questions about suffering or, or even want to tell your story, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time. 